worship you. God, I ask that as we do so, Father, as we come before you, as we open your word, that, Father, you would just give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts that are receptive what it is that you have for us tonight. God, I just thank you for this time. God, I ask that everything that we say and do would bring honor and glory to you. I ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. All right, guys, grab a seat. Cool beans. You guys good? Good. One person's good. That's 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 all that matters. No, I'm just kidding. All right. If you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 23. Psalm 23 is where we will be this evening. Cool. So if you've been with us over the past few weeks, we have been uh, going through a series um, called Hills and Valleys. And really what we've been doing is we've kind of been looking at specific psalms. Um, you know, we've kind of been looking at specific psalms uh, that we have in the book of Psalms. So um, psalms, if you didn't know, a lot of the psalms are written by David. Um, now, not every psalm in the Bible is written by David, but a lot of them are. And a lot of them are written during certain, certain phases of David's life where there was good days and there was bad days, right? There's highs. There was mountaintop experiences, and there were lows that were just in the valley, right? I think that, you know, one thing that's really encouraging for us is that, you know, as Christians, like, we're not expected to have great days all the time. You know what I'm trying to say? Like, you know what? We can be real with one another that, hey, sometimes um, life's not super stellar all the time. Um, And by the way, another thing is, um, I know that we've kind of been like slacking a little bit and posting like the sermons on the podcast on Spotify, but last week's sermon is on, is on Spotify now. So, um, I've had enough people come up to me and tell me, uh, that, you know, they're trying to get that stuff. So we had that last week. We're recording this week, right? Yeah. Okay, cool. So, uh, so just, just, uh, if you wanted to kind of refresh, you can go back and hear last week's, but you know, one thing that's, that stays certain Right. In all of David's writings, whether they're good days, bad days, whatever it may be, he finds his joy, he finds his comfort and his peace in who God is. Like that's the that's the overarching theme that you see constantly is no matter the circumstance, he falls back to what he knows to be true about God and who God is. You know, I think, you know, if you were if you were able to go to Dean now this weekend, um, I led a breakout group um, we're really talking about, like, finding peace in the noise of life. And we talk about, you know, how we find peace is that, like, as Christians, we don't find peace. Like, we don't have peace because God exists. We have peace because of who that God is. You know what I'm trying to say? Like, I don't find peace in the fact that there is a God. I find peace in who that God is and what I know to be true about that God. What I've heard, what I've seen, and I've read that that God has done. And, right, like, that's what gives peace. Right, so it's who God is that gives peace, not just not the fact just that He exists, right? And so we're talking about this idea of who God is, right? The, the Bible gives a lot of different like illustrations and analogies and explanations of of how God relates to His people, right? So all throughout the Bible, there's there's King, right? How God is a King, how God is Lord, God is a Father, He is a friend, He is the Bridegroom, He is the judge, he is our defender. You can kind of go on and on and on and see the relationship that is explained between God and his people. And one of the most beautiful depictions of God and his people is that of a shepherd and his sheep. Now, Psalm 23, if you didn't know, Psalm 23 is probably the most popular psalm in the Bible. 
Um, so much so that I was having Brock prepare, I was going to have Brock like prepare a sermon for like middle school coming up. And he goes, all right, I know which one I'll do. And uh, he texted me today, hey, I'm going to do Psalm 23. I'm like, no, you're not. Because uh, I am, <laughs> uh, right? It, it's just it's just one of those incredible uh, chapters in the Bible. It's also if you want to say that you memorized an entire chapter of the Bible, just me- memorize Psalm twenty three, right? It's it's six verses, I think. So uh, so Psalm twenty three is David, and David is writing about this idea that God is a shepherd. God is a shepherd. Now, why would it be significant for David to say that God is a shepherd? Huh? Because David was a shepherd, yeah, right? Okay, David was a shepherd. So if there's anybody who knows what is required of a shepherd, it would be who? It would be David, right? Because when he was a boy, we know that David was a shepherd. Not only was he a shepherd, but he was a pretty baller shepherd, as we see in the story of David and Goliath, where David is talking about how if there's like a, if a lion came and grabbed one of the sheep, the homeboy with his bare hands was fighting lions, okay? Which it's just a crazy thought to me. But right, that's what that's so David understood this relationship between a shepherd and his sheep. And as king, he was giving he was also understanding that he was a shepherd over the people of Israel, but more, most importantly, God is a shepherd over his people. God is a shepherd over his people. David goes into depth explaining how God is a shepherd, but before we even get into that, let's first read Psalm 23, starting in verse 1. And we're actually just, you know, we're not going to get through the entire psalm tonight. We're actually going to kind of break this up into multiple sections. We're really only going to get through the first three verses, okay? But we're going to read the whole thing just so we can kind of have it. So the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, before we even go any further, here's one thing I want you to see. is Not only is the Lord... A shepherd. Not only is God a shepherd, but don't you see how David says this here? It says, David says that he is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. It's important for us to make this distinction because what we need to understand is it's very easy for us to read about God, to read about all of his benefits, to read about how wonderful God is, to read about his love and his mercy and his kindness and his steadfastness and his plan for his people and all of these wonderful things and think that God is all of those wonderful things, but he's those things for some, for other people, but not necessarily for me. Or he is those things, but he's those things just kind of collectively. Like that, Yes, he is our shepherd, but do you believe that he is your shepherd? That our God, while he is a God who takes care of the masses, that he spins the galaxies in the palm of his hand, he is also the God that scripture says knows how many hairs are on your head and knit you together in your mother's womb. That he is a personal God. He isn't just our shepherd or he isn't just Israel's shepherd, but David says he is my shepherd. To put it another way, it can be easy for us to say that God loves people, but do you find it easy to say God loves me? Or it's easy for us to say that God has forgiven us, that God, is forg- that God forgives people. Or, but do you believe and do you find it easy to say that God has forgiven me? It's easy for us to say that Jesus died for us. 
if you believe that Jesus died specifically for you. That while he was on the cross, it wasn't just, you know, for that group of people that one day. But that when Jesus was on the cross, he was dying specifically for you as an individual. That God, our God, is a personal God. He's a personal Savior. See, sheep are not wild animals. Right? Sheep aren't wild animals. They, are, they belong to someone. Whenever there's a shepherd looking after sheep, th- those sheep belong to someone. Whether they, Either they belong to the shepherd or they belong to someone that the shepherd is taking care of them for. But they belong to someone. And oftentimes, sheep were bought with a great price. If you're a Christian, you've been bought by the blood of Jesus. Not simply a part of a larger whole, but also purchased individually by your good shepherd. Luke 12, Jesus says that the very hairs on our heads are numbered. In Psalm 139, God says that he knit you together in your mother's womb. And just as much as God is close to his people as a collective, never forget that God is personal and he is close to you as an individual. That you don't get lost in the mix. It can be very easy for us to maybe come here and, you know, we have like, you know, 60 high school students on a Tuesday night or, or even like you come on Sunday morning and there's, you know, you know, a few hundred people or whatever. Or even like during staycation, you know, they're probably, you know, you're going to have like 200 students. It could be easy to feel kind of lost in the mix, but understand that God never loses you in the mix. That God sees you, he knows you, he loves you, and he is personal to you. He knows what makes you happy. He knows what makes you sad. He knows what bothers you. He knows what encourages you. He knows you inside and out. He's a personal God. He is my shepherd. Now, we can sit here and say God is my shepherd, but what we, but what we want to do is, is understand what this means, right? We don't want to just say, all right, God is my shepherd, and then we just kind of go off onto a tangent, right? Because while it sounds great, we need to understand David's point and his intention with this statement. Because to us, the depth of saying that God is a shepherd, we don't really get it as much, right? Because in our 21st century Western culture, we don't see a whole lot of shepherds. When was the last time you saw a shepherd, you know? But if you were to go to Israel today, even today, there are shepherds in Israel. There are shepherds. And in that day, especially when they, when, when they would say a shepherd, when they talk about a shepherd, everyone understood what the shepherd, who the shepherds were. Everyone understood what the shepherds did. right? So the significance of a shepherd is, is lost on us, but not exactly lost on them. Something that they saw all the time. It's a theme that's heavily present throughout the Bible, talking about the fact that God is a shepherd. In Genesis 49, Psalm 28, Psalm 80, Ecclesiastes 12, Isaiah 40, Micah 7, Zechariah 13, Matthew 26, John 10, Hebrews 13, 1 Peter 2, 1 Peter 5. That's just to name a few. You can literally just spend all this time looking at all the times that God has been called a shepherd. So if we were to sit here and simply discuss the implications in the meaning of God being our shepherd, then we would sit here all night. We would just sit here all night. Studying this idea and what it means, which would be great. However, our goal tonight is not simply to take the broad subject that God being a shepherd and then just use it as a springboard in a topical discussion. That's not what we're going to, we're not going to say, the Lord is my shepherd, and then just, I'm, then I'm just going to go off and tell you personal stories of, how, of my life of how I've seen God be a shepherd to me. That's not what we're going to do. What we're going to do, we're going to stay in the passage, and we're going to look at, What does the Bible mean? What does David mean specifically here 
when he says that God is a shepherd. Because we need to understand, what does Scripture say? It says all Scripture is God-breathed. So not only what does David mean here, but what does the Holy Spirit, through David, want you and I to understand specifically about God's role as a shepherd? What is he trying to communicate to us in this passage? Not the rest of the Bible, which it will line up with the rest of the Bible, but specifically in this passage. Well, the first thing we're going to see is the shepherd's provision. Shepherd's pr- the shepherd's provision. Verse 1, it says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. See, one of the responsibilities was to, was, of the shepherd was to provide for the sheep. See, because God is your shepherd, that means that he is your provider. God takes care of you. And David sums up this idea with a simple statement, I shall not want. Now, when I was younger, I don't know about you, but when I was younger and I read this, I, always, I, I was always very confused. Because for some reason I thought it was saying, like, the Lord is my shepherd that I don't want. But that's not what it's saying, okay? And maybe if you, and you're in here, you're like, what? That's not what it means? No, what it's saying is that it says, it's like God is my shepherd, and because God is my provider, because God is the one who provides for me, I have all that I need in him, and there is nothing outside of him that I want. That's what that means. So he's saying that God is my provider, that there is nothing that I need that I do not have in my shepherd. And I think this is something that we so quickly are prone to forget, that if God is a provider, then he is the best provider we could ever have. God is the best provider we could ever ask for. See, there's never a moment where you need something from God and, he is, that he, and he's not supplied it for you. There's never a moment that you need God to be something or someone that he isn't. There's never a moment where you need something in your life and God has fallen short in providing for you. See, this goes back to the idea of the sufficiency of God. That God is sufficient. That if you have God, you have all that you need. Now, I want to be clear. It is natural to want things. Okay? It's natural to want things. And many times, the things that we want are actually God-given desires. All right? So don't feel like because you want things that you're, 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 you're you know, you're a bad Christian or, or whatever, right? So let me, to give you an example, like God created us for relationships. We're relational people. God designed us for relationships. So here's the thing. So the desire to be in a relationship with people or to be in a relationship with someone isn't exactly a bad thing or a sinful thing, okay? Because I want you to understand this. Because sometimes a lot of people, what they'll do, especially for you guys in high school, is they'll say, it is sinful to desire to date. And I don't think that's the case. It's not sinful to desire to date. I think the desire for companionship in that way is a God-given desire. But we're sinners, so what happens is, is we seek to fulfill these desires in sinful ways. That's the problem. You with me? That's the problem. So I'm not going to be this pastor who comes up here and says, it's sinful to date. But I will say, you need to be aware of your sinfulness and how you may seek to fulfill a God-given desire in a sinful way. we got to be careful of that. And you want my personal opinions on dating, we can talk about that another time. But we have to understand that, you know, hey, it's not a bad thing to want. It's not a bad thing to have desires. But we must always remember that our, that our desires are first and foremost met by our shepherd and no one else or nothing else. That he is our provider. So if, here's the thing. If you don't have satisfaction with only your shepherd, you will never have satisfaction with whatever or whoever you are seeking to add to your life. See, if you're not content single, you won't be content in a relationship. 
Just hear me out. If you're not content as a single Christian, you will not be content as a Christian in a relationship. Why? Because only your shepherd can fill that need. Only your shepherd can provide excuse me, can provide for you in that way. And what you're seeking to do is you're seeking to add a human to your life in putting the expectations of provision on them, which they were never, ex- they were never designed to fulfill. Never designed to fulfill. If you're not content single, you won't be content in a relationship. If you're not content with, with little, then you won't be content with riches. See, contentment, true contentment, comes from the shepherd. Comes from the shepherd. So here's the question. If God is a provider, if God, as our shepherd, is a provider, then how does he provide? Because this is a critical question for us. This is very, very important for us to understand. And this is why we need to stick to the Bible, right? This is why we stick to the text. And if you're, never mind. If you, <laughs> this is why we stick to the Bible. When, okay? That's why we stick to the Bible. Just, just being real. If you're with us at D-Now this weekend, you know why I'm saying this. This is why we stick to the Bible. Anyway, if you weren't at D-Now, we could talk about it later. We'll talk about it at Chick-fil-A. Okay. Because here, here's the thing. I could say, look, God is a shepherd. Shepherds provide. And then I can go on and then I can give you my definition of what provision looks like. But we need to be careful when we do this. All right, pay attention, focus, focus. You need to be careful because I can say, God is a shepherd, shepherds provide. Well, this is what provision looks like. But we need to be very, very careful. We need to be careful not to do this because provision that God provides may not look like the provision that I may define to you. So let's continue looking at what this provision looks like. What does this provision, what is this provision? So one, we see the shepherd's provision, but two, we see the shepherd's wisdom. See, God provides for us out of his wisdom. See, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. See, now, one thing that you need to understand about shepherds and their sheep is where shepherds would typically be found. Where do you find shepherds? See, if you were to go to Israel today and you were to go to the farming areas, or if you were to go to areas where, you know, there's, you know, large populations of people or whatever, you won't find shepherds there. Even back in this time, you wouldn't find shepherds there. You really wouldn't find sheep in good farming land. You want to know why? Because the good farming land was for farming. And what do sheep like to do? Eat. So you're not going to raise sheep where you're trying to grow crops. Because of that, what would happen is that the shepherds, what they would do is they would raise their sheep, typically in very rocky and often desolate places in the middle of the desert. So if you go to, you know, let's say Jerusalem today, you're not going to find a whole lot of shepherds. But if you go a few miles, you know, if you go about an hour or so south of Jerusalem in the middle of the desert, guess what you're going to find? You're going to find a whole lot of shepherds. You're going to find a whole lot of shepherds. And sometimes after the harvest, you know, after they've kind of harvested their crops, then they would kind of allow the shepherds to come a little bit closer to town. But for the most part, really, um, the, the shepherd's land the shepherd's fields was not an uh, was not abundant. Right where the shepherd would lead the sheep was not in the, was not abundant in knee high, super soft grass. You know where you just run and like you know he makes me lie down in green pastures and I have this imagery of just f- you know falling and floating. You know what I'm trying to say? See, shepherds would lead sheep into areas that looked desolate. 
but they had what was needed. If you were to go to shepherd's fields today, you'd just see these sheep walking and eating, and you're like, what are they eating? Like, there's nothing there for them to eat. But what happens is that, you know, there's a little bit of moisture in the air. And, wh- and because of that, under, basically at the, the, near these rocks, under the rocks, you'll find these little shoots of green grass. There's not a ton of it, but when you get up close, you can see it. And that is the green pastures. Now, in our 21st century mindset, we go straight to this idea of a large open meadow where the shepherd just says, hey, go be free and be full. That's kind of what we think of here, where the shepherd just kind of lets us go and goes, hey, be free, be full, where the sheep no longer have to depend on the shepherd. We're just kind of given this abundance that we just can go now and enjoy. But to David, David understands, one who was at one time, he was a shepherd, he understands that the green pastures that the shepherd provides for his sheep are green and sustaining for what the flock needs for the moment. That the sheep don't stay in the same spot. They go to a green pasture, and you know what? Then they go to a different green pasture. Why? Because they're going where the sheep, where the shepherd knows the sheep will be sustained for the moment. So the promise of green pastures in Psalm 23, should be very, very clear. Okay, this, the promise of green pastures is not exactly a promise of abundance and relaxation. But it is a promise that even when you may not see it, your shepherd has led you to the place that he knows is good for you. Hear me out. Because some of you are like, man, if God's my shepherd, then where are these green pastures? Where are these green pastures that, he, that I read about? Where is this, this abundance? Where is this that I'm supposed to find? And here's the thing is that, again, if you're defining provision based on your definition, then, yeah, you're probably right. But the green pastures are what sustains the sheep for the moment. See, people today constantly want to ask God for provision and then set the parameters of what, prov- of what provision is. We don't say, God, provide for me, but let me define what that provision looks like. And then when, that pro- when God's provision is contrary to what we have decreed provision should be, we grow frustrated claiming that God doesn't provide. Why? Because he doesn't provide in the way that I've defined it. Or you see people who leave the faith because their personal experiences don't seem to line up with what the Bible seems to say. Please hear me this. Please hear me. The sheep do not dictate to the shepherd what provision is. Sheep, never, there has never been a sheep that's looked at the shepherd and been like, you serious? No, I don't think so. Why? Because the shepherd knows. One thing that's also true about sheep is that sheep are not very intelligent. Now, I'm sure you're extremely intelligent, right? You're very, very smart. I get that. But according, uh, compared to God, we're not, right? If you, ever, have you ever seen that video of, like, there's, like, this guy who's, like, a shepherd, and he pulls this sheep out of, like, a crack. Have you seen this? And, like, the sheep, like, like and they're working hard. And it's, like, got, got it by the leg, and it's, like, pulling it out. And it's just, like, you're, like, good grief. Like, first of all, I'm afraid he's going to snap this sheep in half, okay? Like, just the way that he's yanking. And then he gets this sheep out, and the sheep's, like, yay! And it runs, it goes, thump, thump, and it falls right back into the crack. Have you seen this video? That is the life of a sheep, okay? 
getting into crappy situations, and then the shepherd having to come and yank them out. That's the life of a sheep. Again, we as sheep, we do not have the right to dictate to God, our shepherd, what this provision looks like. And that's why the psalm also says this, that he makes me lie down. You see that? He makes me lie down. He doesn't invite me to lie down. He doesn't say, hey, lay down if you want. No, he says he makes me lie down. The idea here is that the sheep do not always know what it needs. And the sheep don't know what is best for itself. So it must rely on the shepherd to show them the provision and make them rest in it. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And sometimes we need to be reminded of that. That God is smarter than us. God knows more than we do. And because of that, God knows what provision looks like. Now, at first, when we define God's provision, it almost seems like we've lessened it, doesn't it? It almost seems like I'm saying these green pastures, and I've made them to be something that we actually don't want. Perhaps the imagery doesn't really invoke the same emotional response, but I think it actually makes the shepherd's provision even more wonderful. Makes it even greater. Think about it. Think about this. All right. What shows more intentionality and care? To send a sheep into a bountiful field never to be seen again. Or to have a shepherd walk step by step with the sheep, pointing out the provision and comforting the sheep all the way. What sounds more intentional and more caring? See, the reason we like the idea of the big fluffy field is because we like the idea of being independent from God. Let's just be real. Let's just be honest. That's what we want. Because so many of us, more than we want the shepherd, we want the provision that the shepherd gets. If we could get the the green pastures without the shepherd, we'd take it. But that's not what we're called to. That's not an abundant life. Give you an example. If you've ever babysat before, okay? Now, I used to, like, when I was, like, young, I would babysit, like, my cousins or something like that, okay? I don't know what it is, but for some reason, like, teenage boys just don't get, like, babysitting gigs. I don't know what it is, but, like, <laughs> I don't know. You know, like, teenage girls, especially, like, like teenage girls in church, yo, babysitting gigs, like, crazy, okay? Boys, they're just like, nah, you can cut my grass, right? Uh, that's just kind of the way it is. But I got to babysit my cousins every once in a while or something. And I'll tell you what, the, the, the best times, and this is sinful, and maybe this is why boys don't babysit. Uh, I would be like, you know, the, the best times that I was called to babysit was when the kid was asleep. Right? Why? Because literally all I get to do is just watch TV in someone else's house. Right? I don't have to take care of the kid. I just got to make sure that it's still breathing. I'll go in, open the door. Okay, we're good. And just shut the door. That's, that's all my babysitting is. Why? Because honestly, if I'm real, I'm not there so that I can spend time with the kid. I'm there so I can get some money. But understand that God looking after his sheep is not there just so that he can get a paycheck. He's there because he cares for us. And because we are walking step by step with the shepherd, we have total peace, comfort, and rest. In verse 2, we see this. He says, he makes me lie down uh, in green pastures. And then we also say that he leads me beside still waters. Still waters in Hebrew literally translates to waters of rest. 
See, God not only gives provision, but he also gives rest. And one of my favorite verses in the Bible is that his burdens are, sorry, that his commands are not burdensome. If your relationship with God is burdening you, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. It says that he leads me beside still waters. So we see the shepherd's provision. We see the shepherd's wisdom. Thirdly, we see the shepherd's motivation. Some of you are like, man, he's flying through this. Because I want us to be able to actually, we're going to actually have some group time tonight. We're going to kind of debrief this a little bit. And because there's no AC on the other side, we're going to let the ladies stay in here. And us guys are going to go rough it in the, in the heat, okay? That's just the way it goes, all right? Because we're gentlemen, all right? But shepherd's motivation, number three. See, God continually provides for his people. Now, what is the result? What is the result of the shepherd's provision? Verse 3, he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. See, why does the shepherd provide for his sheep in this way? Why does the shepherd provide for the sheep? See, David says that the tender care of the shepherd restored his soul. What does this mean? Right? Because here's the thing. Like, God doesn't try things. God does. The outcome that happens from God doing things is his desired outcome. You with me? There's never been something that God has done and then there was an outcome and he'd be like, what? No. Everything that happens is God's desired outcome. So if the outcome of this was that he restores my soul, then why do we see that? Like, what does this mean? Well, we see that the physical provision that the shepherd is given, the physical provision of food and comfort, right, it impacts the soul first and foremost. Right? God is, God is far more concerned about your spiritual well-being than your physical well-being. Let's just be real. So often we misunderstand God's provision because we misunderstand his primary motive. What is God's motive in providing for you? See, let's take a step back from this passage. Let's take a step back from the passage and ask ourselves, why does God provide? Now, your answer to that question will also lead you to an understanding of what that provision looks like. See, if I was to tell you, all right, let's step back from the passage. All right, say, what, why does God provide? And your answer is going to determine what you think provision looks like. For instance, if God provides so that you will be happy, then anything that makes you unhappy is not God's provision. You see how you have defined provision? by You've defined provision by defining God's motive for the provision. So you need to understand why does God do this? Why does God do this? Do you think that God provides for you because he wants you to be happy? Then anything in your life that leads to unhappiness is proof that God doesn't provide. You see, David understood that the provision of the shepherd is for the ultimate good of the sheep, not just the temporary good of the sheep. Not just the temporary good, but the ultimate long-term good. Well, what is the ultimate long-term good for us? It's not physical, it's spiritual. The word restore in Hebrew literally means to bring back. It, is, it has imagery of rescue. Of that which was once lost. A commentator on this passage put it this way. It says, in Hebrew, the words restores my soul can mean, uh, uh, restores my soul can mean this. It means brings to me to repentance. That the motivation for God's caring for you and physical provision is to bring you to repentance. Charles Spurgeon put 
has a quote on this passage. It says, he restoreth my soul. He restores it to its original purity. That, was na- that has now grown foul and black with sin. For also, what good were it to have green pastures and a black soul? What good is it to have green pastures if my soul is tainted with sin? What good is it to have green pastures now in hell forever? See, God's motivation for caring for you is not simply because he wants you to be cared for physically. Now, to this point, all of the provision has been physical as well as spiritual, but the reason for the physical provision is for the end goal of spiritual provision. Right? If you were here Sunday morning and Pastor Ethan preached to write the story of the paralyzed man who came to Jesus, and Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And they're like, who is this to forgive sins? Right? Like, you can't forgive sins. Only God can forgive sins. What does he do? Jesus heals the man physically to prove that he had the authority to heal the man spiritually. Likewise, he gives us physical provision to lead us to the ultimate spiritual provision. See, God's kindness is meant to bring us to repentance. God kindly provides physically for us to point us to our greater spiritual need. This is laid out in Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2, it says, We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, that you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, or impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. And here's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying this. God will judge those that have sinned against him. And don't think that just because God has provided for you physically that he will not judge you. He says, do you think that just because God has been kind and patient with you that he won't judge you? Understand this, that the kindness of God is meant to lead you to repent. And the longer you misuse God's kindness, the more you miss, the longer you misuse God's kindness for you to continue in your sinfulness, the more wrath you're storing up for yourself when you ultimately are judged. Wrap your, that, that's what that verse is saying. That these people that do not know Christ, that are living in open rebellion to him, that are not saved, we ask ourselves, why does God continue to provide for them physically? One, because he's, his provision is meant to lead them to repentance. But understand, the longer that they use his kindness and they use it as an excuse to continue in their sinfulness, the more wrath they store up for themselves when one day they are judged. And that is a terrifying thought. See, God's kindness is meant to bring us to repent. And that is what it means when he restores my soul is that he spiritually makes me right with him. And that is a good thing. Then he says, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. See, now that my soul has been restored and I am refreshed by his provision for me, he now leads me in paths of righteousness. See, the shepherd leads me to live a life that not only is within his full provision, but now he keeps me from falling into the pit that he just saved me from. See, it's not that he just kind of has this one-time moment where he restores my soul and then he's, all right, go get him, Skippy, and then he lets me go. No, the shepherd continually leads the sheep, constantly, constantly, constantly. 
See, the shepherd leads me to live a life that honors him. This, once again, is where we see the scriptures that, that uh, where we see in the scriptures that those that are saved by God will be made more into the image of Jesus over the span of their life. Once again, we see that while all Christians struggle with sin, according to 1 John, right, no one's perfect. No Christian doesn't sin anymore. While all Christians struggle with sin, we can trust that when we surrender to his leading, he will lead us in a life that avoids sin and follows him. But again, why does he do this? Right? He does it for our ultimate good, right? Okay, it's for our ultimate good. See, but if his kindness is meant to lead me to repentance, then why wouldn't it stop right there? You with me? Notice that his kindness and his provision is meant to lead to repentance. And once I am led to repentance, then the psalm should stop. It should end, right? If that's the end goal is just to be me, me being made right with him, then it should stop right there. We're good to go. Psalm 24. Why does it continue on? Why does it continue on with this idea of leading me in paths of righteousness? Why do we see it not in there? Why does it keep going? I mean, God's love and care for me is a motivating factor 100%. But if it was the supreme motivation, then wouldn't God just let me coast after I've come to that place of repentance? If that was the end goal, wouldn't he just let me go? See, clearly there's a deeper motivation for why God provides for us. And it's this, in verse 3, for his namesake. For his namesake. You see, while God has redeemed you, he leads you, he provides for you, because he loves you, absolutely he does. But even greater than that is for his own glory. See, God's goodness towards you and towards me is an overflow of who he is. It's an overflow of his nature. You see, when the sheep are provided for, it reflects well on the shepherd. See, God does not provide for you because you are so awesome. God provides for you because he is so awesome. God doesn't provide for me because I'm so deserving of, of provision. He provides for me because he is so wonderful. And what would bring God more glory than to see his sheep fully satisfied in him? John Piper has a quote in, his, in, in one of his books where he says that what? God is, most God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in him. It's for his glory. This is why God does what he does. He does it for his glory. And here's the thing. That doesn't minimize his love. No, 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 no. If anything, it elevates his love. Why? Because he loves you for, no, for nothing that he gets out of it. You, with, you, you understand that? That God didn't save you. God didn't save you because of anything that he would be gaining from the deal. That you are not the basis of, of your salvation. You are not the reason you are saved. Likewise... You are not the reason that you remain saved. God is the one who saves you. God is the one who keeps you. And God is the one that will bring your salvation to full expression when he returns. The basis of the shepherd's provision for the sheep is the shepherd, not the sheep. You want to know why and why that's important? Because here's the thing. Even when you have bad days, even when you sin and you fall short like we all do, that doesn't determine the shepherd's provision. Even when we sin, God provides. 
we should find comfort in that. Because of that, at least what we're going to talk about next week, because I know that no matter the situation, good days, bad days, in-between days, that what? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, which we'll talk about next week. So what we're going to do is we're going to split into our groups. We're going to talk. We're going to spend just 15 minutes kind of talking about this. All right? So I'm going to pray. I'll let you go. Boys are going to go across the hall. Girls in here. Guys, let's take our chairs with us. All right? Cool beans. All right. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. God, I ask that you would just be with us as we kind of break this down and talk about it a little bit further. And God, that ultimately that everything that we say and do would bring honor and glory to you. I ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Also, guys, uh, Chick-fil-A later tonight if you want to go. Go through the drive-thru, circle up, or cars in the parking lot. Sounds good. Whew. Love, peace, and chicken grease.